You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. All right, well... Uh, it's August and that means it's time for a new preaching series and so for the next four weeks we're doing a preaching series called Barmy Bible Stories Barmy Bible Stories now if you were a child that went to Sunday school give me a wave give me a wave okay so at Sunday school you learn about some classic Bible stories Jeff I am going to need my notes mate I know I'm good but to be fair I'm just shooting from the hip here. Just Jeff's just playing Angry Birds on his phone, just chilling while the preacher's making it up as he goes along. This is Jeff the Fresh, ladies and gentlemen. Famous in the online community as well. Just give him some emojis there. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you. Some of the classic Bible stories you learn at Sunday school. Uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Anyone, anyone, any, is that anyone's favourite? Daniel in the lion's den. One or two. All right. Jonah and the whale. Okay, a few Jonah fans. Noah and the ark. Catherine referred to a lesser known Bible story when she said God can speak through a donkey. Anyone familiar with Balaam and the donkey? All right. Well, What we want to do in this series is we want to explore some of the lesser known Bible stories and just help you connect with the power of the Word of God. You know, the idea that the Bible is like for primary school and that as you get older, you sort of grow out of it and those classic stories are more for like fridge magnets or, you know, kind of nice little children's Bible stories before they go to bed is all true, but also we're kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater when we forget to recognise that the Bible is powerful and every page, whether it makes sense in the moment of reading or not, is for you and I to learn and to grow. So we're going to go and hit up some unfamiliar Bible stories and also some classics as well over these next few weeks. Next week, Pastor Stuart is preaching all about Ehud, the left-handed warrior. The week after, we have the privilege of Pastor Lee Brown, our Chester campus pastor, making his way all the way to Manchester and he's gonna preach the story of Esther. And then in three weeks' time, I shall return from Ukraine where me and Pastor Lee are going to train some church leaders and I'll be preaching Cain and Abel here in Manchester. Today though, I'm gonna preach an unfamiliar story to some from Acts chapter 20. And we have gone to the trouble of doing some highlights for you on screen. Check this out for Paul and Eutychus. Well, I'm very much enjoying this meal. So am I, but this guy's going on a bit, isn't he? Yeah, it is getting a bit hot. I'm gonna go for a twitch. 
And this brings me on to my next sermon. Oh, YouTube, Chris, great idea. Go by the window, it's boiling in here. YouTube, Chris! <sighs> What's all that commotion? I'm trying to deliver my set. Oh my gosh, that guy's just fallen out of the window. Oh my gosh, he's dead! Get out of the way! Let me run down the stairs, I need to help him. Oh my gosh. Uh, let me throw my arms around him and pray to the Lord. He, he's alive. He's, he's alive. He's alive! Yeah. Right, now that's sorted, back to the surface. There you go. That sounds like a confused round of applause. At least let's thank Adam for acting so well in this story. In Acts chapter 20, there is this crazy story of the Apostle Paul preaching and boring someone to death. A guy called Eutychus, played there by Adam Keeley, with great GCSE drama, grade C. He decides to sit in an open window. It's late, it's warm. The candlelight is kind of lulling him into a, a snoozy moment. And the Bible says that Eutychus, while Paul is preaching, I'm not saying this is gonna be you today, Charles. I'm just saying there's a little bit of a parallel here. The Bible actually says, while Paul talked on and on, Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the second story window and died. But what's crazy about this story is it says these words, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. Quite an alarming situation. I'll let him go in a sec. Charlie's contacting the musicians union because the team have been stood there for Seven minutes extra. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. Then it says the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. That makes me laugh because it doesn't say that he was alive after Paul lay on him and said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. He just got up carried on, oh, had something to eat, carried on preaching and then left. And then they picked him up alive. Now, if people were listening really hard to that sermon after that point onwards, as Eutychus lies there with his limbs pointing in the wrong direction. Why don't you give it up for our worship team? They've put in an extra shift. Thanks guys, you can be, you'll be back in just a minute. This is a message about what to do in a crisis. I'm gonna prophesy and you may not wanna receive this prophetic word, but I'm gonna prophesy that you are either in a crisis right now, personally, or you are on your way out of a crisis, or write this down and highlight it, you are on your way in to a crisis. You don't receive that? All right. Well, I'm gonna to speak to those of us that live in the real world and recognise that here in this story is some lessons that we can learn on what to do in 
a crisis. Nobody plans to have a crisis, but we do plan for a crisis. Otherwise, we wouldn't have, I don't know, the emergency services or, or some of the things that we kind of know are there just in case. Now, everybody in this room responds differently to a crisis. Point at the person in your family or your friendship group who are a flapper in a crisis. Point at them now. Point at them. Yeah, a few fingers going. Come on now, don't be offended. Okay, point at the person, and you're mostly going to point at yourself, who is a solid rock in a crisis. Yeah, a few fingers like this. The person who was being pointed at about flapping in a crisis is now pointing at themselves, saying, I'm solid as a rock. A few years ago, well, many years ago, actually, me and some of my friends, Darren included, Zoe, Catherine, and some others, we spent, I think, 10 days on a 90-foot sailboat in the Mediterranean. Leadership development experience. I haven't got the time to tell you how I nearly got fired as the youth pastor of the church I was in because of that trip. That's another story. But there was a crisis when we were on this boat. You got three members of staff along with this leadership development experience, apart from those who were on the boat. You got a captain, a deck hand, someone who kind of did the work around the boat, and a chef, a cook. And we were in the middle of the ocean, no land in sight, going extremely fast, sails up, wind in the sails, and the deck hand was um, wakeboarding off the side of the boat. Quite cool. The cook, Lisa? Good, from the memory banks. Lisa, the cook, was leaning over the side of the boat, taking photographs of the deck hand as he was wakeboarding, and she fell in. Now, we were going really fast, and we had done a, a uh, just-in-case exercise of what to do if, that, if somebody went overboard when we were in the port. Let me tell you, we were terrible. You're supposed to stay calm. You're not supposed to run around. One person is supposed to remain fixed, pointing at the person in the ocean. I think that was, who was that? Sarah Scholes reed My sister-in-law was given the job and she just stood there going, <laughs> just crying as the chef was kind of like bobbing up and down in the water. Sparky and Darren, Sparky was there too. Sparky and Darren boarded the kind of like uh, little dinghy, motor-powered dinghy to go because we were going rapid and to turn this 90-foot sailboat around was going to take a long time. So they were like ragdolls on the back of this boat kind of being bobbed up and down. The, the, the mast, the sort of like boom at the bottom, I don't know what it's called. Mick, the bit at the bottom, the boom. Oh, good. Uh, thank you, Pirate. Thank you, Captain Jack. The boom swung across the boat, hit Keith, my brother. I haven't got my glasses on. Are you there, bro? There he is. Hit Keith like square in the forehead. I'm talking like, like blood, like on the ground. Becky Weaver. Let me tell you, this girl already had blisters on the top of her feet from sunburn. She was hugging the mast in tears. Like we were terrible in a crisis. Now Lisa was okay. We got her back on board and she's fine. There is a rumour that this was like a staged exercise to see if we passed the test and we failed miserably. Now, everybody reacts differently in a crisis, but I want to look at how Paul 
who arguably caused this crisis, responded so that we can learn some lessons. Is that okay? I've got six lessons in 17 minutes. All right, number one. This is not a visual aid. I'm literally just hot. Thank you, friend. The first thing that Paul did, and I would say something that we can do in a crisis, number one is stop. Stop. This isn't expressly said in the Scripture, but it's implied because the Bible says that Paul went down to where Eutychus was. This guy, as he was preaching, this guy had fallen out the window. He'd sort of died, according to Scripture. And yet the Bible says Paul went down. So there was obviously a moment when Paul was preaching and then this happened and then Paul stopped. And I want to just take a moment to recognise how in an airbrushed, selfie-obsessed, social media-driven society, how hard it is to actually put your hand up and say, I'm in a bit of a situation here. It's so easy for us to brush over it, to keep it under the carpet, to keep it under the radar, to maintain the mask that everything's okay, when really there are parts of our lives that sometimes you could describe as being in a bit of a crisis. Now we're a church that believe in the power of faith. In our pre-service prayer meeting this morning, by the way, which you are invited to at 9.25 every Sunday morning, you could come and pray with us. Pastor Rafaro was praying and he was encouraging us to lift our faith. We're a faith church. We believe in the power of faith. However, in a faith environment, it does not mean pretending that everything's okay. Romans chapter 4 says this about Abraham, arguably like the patriarch of the Old Testament. It says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. That was the promise that had been said to him. Verse 19, it says this, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. It says facing the facts, in other words, being truthful and honest about the situation was not, um, it was not a given that that meant a weakening of the faith. It's not like you can either have faith or you can live in the real world, but you can live in the real world with faith. Faith is not the absence of fear, but choosing to do it anyway with a confidence that can only come from Him, heaven. Hebrews 11 verse 1, you will know this, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, this is in the New Testament, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance, according to the dictionary, means this, a positive declaration intended to give confidence. A positive declaration about something that we do not see with the intent to give confidence. A declaration is a verbalizing or a rehearsing 
of how it could be even when it isn't. So being a person of faith is not not accepting. Abraham faced the fact that he was as good as dead because he was 100 years old. However, his faith wasn't weakened by that fact. It was actually, he was actually strengthened because of the promise. It says, now faith is confidence. Now faith has a now confidence when you need it now. Peace is not the absence of stress. It's the presence of a person. His name is Jesus and they call him the Prince of Peace. So you're not saying that Jesus is not powerful if you admit, I'm feeling stressed. You're basically saying, I'm feeling stressed. Thank God for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, the peace of God, which transcends understanding. In other words, doesn't make sense. In other words, it seems like it doesn't belong. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness is not saying that what someone did to you was no big deal. It's not allowing them to get away with it. It's freeing yourself from the consequences of another person's actions. Joy is not some utopian, unending happiness where nothing bad ever happens. It's having something deeper than what you can see or even feel in any given moment that gives you strength. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's an anchor to my soul that according to Hebrews 6 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that is firm and secure. Sometimes we just have to stop, allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling, face the facts and then choose to rehearse the promises of God and so be strengthened and become unwavering, which is what happened to Abraham in those verses in Romans chapter four. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. I want to propose to you in this faith community that loves God and loves a positive declaration, there are times in your life when you're going to have to stop and just acknowledge, dare I even say it because it sounds like swearing, this is bad. Now, we're not going to set up camp here. We're not going to live here. It's not going to become our mantra. It's not going to be the, the, the de defining sort of narrative of our life. But we are going to stop. Paul was like, okay, this has happened. Nobody seems to be moving. Nobody's like the St. John's ambulance guy. Where was he? Where was the first aid officer on the, on the you know, HSE certificate for that day? Nobody moved. And Paul was like, fine, I'll do it. Which leads me to my second point in what to do in a crisis, which is use your initiative. You may well be ill-equipped when you look at your crisis. And some of you right now, you know what that crisis is. 
And you may be looking at that problem going, I, I don't have what it takes to overcome this. But something that God has given every single person who he created, and it's powerful, and we can use it with confidence, is this little word called initiative. Why would Paul go down? I mean, if anyone, he should have stayed there and repented for boring Eutychus to death. There would have been a growing ill feeling in the room because this guy had, had caused the crisis and yet the Bible says Paul went down. Not only do we live in a culture of pretending that the devil, the Bible says we have an enemy, the enemy of our soul is the devil. The devil wants to cultivate, he wants to maximise that culture of pretending. But if we do what we said in point one and we stop and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not actually doing that good or we've got a situation going on here. Hey, you know what? I'm actually in debt. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sick. You know what? My marriage is in trouble. You know, when we do that, the enemy's like, oh, that strategy didn't work. So now I'm going to make them a victim. If pretending didn't work, which uses all your emotional real estate to try and pretend all the time that everything's groovy, like the, the enemy will be like, okay, we're going to use your emotional real estate now by being a victim. Oh, it's not your fault. You didn't cause this. You know, this has happened and that's happened. And is there, there must be other people that are, have, have got the same feelings as me. And let's get a little Facebook group together and let's kind of, you know, start complaining. We'll compare your problem with my problem. And before you know it, we're kind of fixed in a place where although I said stop, we were never meant to remain. But there's something from the Holy Spirit of God that just rose up in Paul. Paul, the person who caused the problem in the first place, the person at the bottom of the list as, as like the person that's gonna fix the problem, the Bible says Paul went down. And I just believe that whatever situation you're in, with the help of two things, the Holy Spirit and some holy, quote unquote, friends, you can take initiative. You can look at your crisis and say, yeah, it's real. I'm not pretending I'm not hurting, but I'm not willing to stay here. So I will take the initiative. I will go to a friend. I will go to God or preferably both and say, I'm in trouble, but I don't wanna stay here. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe you don't know what the answer is, but together we'll go to the answer and find a way forward. Use your initiative. If you're in a crisis and you are waiting for someone to contact you, you would never do that in your life in another area. If your house is on fire, you don't just sit there going, where's the fire brigade? <laughs> been Nora, it's been, it's been on fire for ages. How did they not know that my house was on fire? Surely I'm the centre of their universe and they just know that my house is on fire. No, they don't. They're waiting for your call and they're ready and willing and trained and skilled at putting out your house fire, but they're waiting for, as they say in America, 911 emergency response or in Britain, we say, emergency, which emergency service do you require? And I prefer the second one. Don't be sitting there where your house burns down, thinking nobody loves me. I'm just gonna eat worms. That's what my dad used to say when we were kids. Use your initiative. Number three, 
The Bible says Paul threw himself on the young man. Now I've done some first aid training. I've seen the recovery position. And I've got to be honest, this is an unusual strategy. The Bible says Paul, after boring him to death, says, okay, I'll do it. Goes downstairs, he's on the floor, limbs pointing in the wrong direction. And it says he threw himself upon him. It was just like, did some like formal gymnastic dive onto Eutychus. People are like, you've already killed him. What are you doing, you weirdo? Number three, think outside the box. Think outside the box. We treat crisis in our lives as so very final. Quite often people who, who come to me and want to talk in a crisis of, of, you know, of any level, they say to me, I think this is going to happen and I'm worried that you know, I'm worried that this is going to happen. I know I'm probably just being, you know, I'm probably just being paranoid. I'm probably just making it up. And sometimes I go, what if you're not? What if the worst that could happen, happens? Let's just go there for a minute and say, is God still on the throne? Is he still your provider? Is he still your healer? Can he still restore? Can he still redeem? Can he still move? Is he at work in your life? Is he limited by your limitations or does he live outside of your limitations sometimes we treat things as absolutely final like we've got one option and it's that whereas sometimes the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate to you another option okay maybe it is what you think it is maybe it's the worst that you could imagine but the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate to you another option I, I just wrote down a list right of of things that I thought people in this room may be facing, and we're going to pray in a moment for, for people in these situations. There's people in here, and you need a visa, and you think it's done. Can't get a visa. Because I'm, going to, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to, my, my family's in trouble. Like You think visa-wise, it's done. I want to prophesy. It's not done. There's another way. Some people in here, you need a job. You've applied for jobs. You've had interviews for jobs. You've been rejected by jobs. You now have decided that you are unemployable and you have settled in your heart that you will stay unemployed for potentially the rest of your life. And I want to prophesy there's another way. Some people in here, your relationship, you've given up on it. You said it's done, it's broken, it can't be fixed. We're broken, it's broken, it was never meant to be. And I just want to say to you that in God, there is another way. Someone in here is sick or you've had a diagnosis and it seems terminal and it seems final and you've got to face the facts about that. But let me just tell you, I believe in a God who heals. And so there is another way. Two more, two more. Some people in this room and you are in debt and you, it, you're drowning in debt. You don't know what to do about it. You feel ashamed. You feel uh, like, like you're the only one. You feel like there's no future and God wants you to know that there is another way. It's not final. There's, there's something that he wants to do. And the last one is, is, is for people in relation to their children. You think my children are gone. And I was running around yesterday, not just around the kitchen. I mean, I was out for a run. <laughs> and I was just praying and I just felt the Holy Spirit put on my heart for me. 
there's another way I've not thought of yet. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to work, but there's another way. So I want everyone to stand to your feet. I did not warn this person, but Derek, do you mind coming praying for us, buddy? Go that way round and grab a mic from Jeff. I want everyone in the room to close their eyes. I know this is a bit early, but maybe we can have the keys up. Is that okay? Thanks, bud. I want us to pray. And we're going to pray this way. We're going to pray for anybody who falls into one of those situations on that list. And we're going to pray. Derek, I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate to us another way. We don't have to work it out. We don't have to have a formula. We just need the Holy Spirit. At least, at least a confidence that the Holy Spirit is going to do it. So come on, if, if that's, everyone close your eyes. If you're in yeah, one of those situations, you, would you raise thank one you, of your hands things. and we're all going to pray. Spirit of the living God, will you come and do the impossible? For all the situations, then the things that Pastor Paul has listed right now, for anybody that's in that situation, will you reveal to them that you are the God that does the impossible, that you're going to come into this place, into their situations, that you're going to open their eyes to see another way, that it is not the end, that this is not the end of the road, that this is just a bend in the road, that you are taking them to higher heights and that you're going to glorify yourself in their situation. No matter the lies the enemy is confessing over their life, we rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of the living God, will you come and do what only you can do and turn those situations around for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom, that many will see those people in these situations and know that yes of a truth, they serve a living God who is healing, who is opening doors and opportunities, who is casting out the spirit of death in this situation. Regardless what the economy is telling them in their situation, that this is it, that there is no other way, that in this situation of financial crisis, Father God, I release a blessing over them in their situations. Will you provide Jehovah Nisi, the God that provides, that you will be able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you, on, you have on, written, on, every you. promise that you have listed for them, Father God. And above all, I'm praying now, right now for a spirit of healing to take place in yes. this building. For anybody that has been given a diagnosis, for anything that has been said over their life concerning healing right now, Father God, will you come in and will you heal them in this situation? Just like the woman with the issue of blood just reached out and pushed through the crowd, Father God, in their situations, as they push and press through Jehovah God, just to touch the hem yeah, of your garment. On, you. And instantly, instantly, yeah, Jehovah on. God, you, the healing took place. You, right now, I believe and confess that over your people, that they're gonna walk out of this building yeah. and healing is taking place instantly yes, in the name that is above Amen. every name. Amen. In Jesus' name Amen. we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, let's amen that prayer. I'm prophesying that some of you driving home from church some point tonight in the next 24 hours, God, the Holy Spirit is gonna illuminate to you another way. You're gonna, you're gonna have confidence when you approach that crisis. Just take your seats, we're coming into land. You can flick that clock over for me. Thanks, Jeff. The, third, the fourth thing that Paul did was he adopted the language of faith. 
took responsibility, said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about this. He thought outside the box. He wasn't just restricted. And then the word audacious literally means to be unrestrained by convention. And that's what Paul was doing. He was like, okay, I'm gonna throw myself on him. I don't know why, but this seems like what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And everyone's gonna freak out, but something's gonna happen. And he did it. But then the Bible says he adopted the language of faith because he said, don't worry, he's alive. That was contrary to what everyone could see. But there's something powerful about the language of faith that when you face facts and declare faith and that sort of coming together of those two things seems to be according to Romans what Abraham did and so became the father of nations. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding to the promise of God. He was rehearsing. He was declaring. He was saying to his own ears, his heart ears, and the ears of those around him, the promise of faith. And I just want to say, if that's all you've got, if you've spiraled so far down and you are at rock bottom, you got nothing. You've always got the language of faith. I know it's hard to say he's alive when you're lying on top of a dead Eutychus. But Paul just declared it. I mean, it doesn't say, as I said, it was quite funny. It doesn't say that Eutychus coughed himself awake and everyone was like, phew. He said, he's alive got up, went and had some food, finished preaching and left. Now, it might not be chronologically happening this way. It's just funny to me that the narrative says, then they picked Eutychus up alive. I don't know if people are just like, we're just carrying on. He just said he was alive, but okay, let's, let's go eat. The fifth thing that Paul shows us is what I've called huddle up, huddle up using that language because earlier this year our youth pastor, Pastor Joel preached in this campus on this stage and one of the points that he made was the power of huddling up. The Bible says that Paul went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. If you know your Bible, you know that breaking bread was not a solo activity. It was something that you did with your brothers, your friends. And in the middle of this crisis, after declaring faith, the Bible says Paul got some good people around him and there was some restoration, some momentum. There was some, so there was a, it, was, it was like a catalyst in that moment. We'd been going this way, we hit rock bottom and then we huddle up, speak faith and we start going in the other direction. And I just want to say, Audacious Church, and I love this church. I love, I love the vision of our church. I love our senior pastors. But I'm not willing to come to church on a Sunday and leave knowing that people can easily, in a room this size, come and leave without knowing anyone. Now the growth of our church has always been faster than our ability to keep up with it. We've always, like Sumi, always bitten off more than we can chew. And we're working super hard to make sure that we're responsible with the hearts of the people that God has trusted us. But you need to help. 
we're a big church and so we need small groups we don't say it for the sake of it we don't say it because it's what the American churches do we say it because we recognise the power of regularly huddling up getting the people around you who over time know you and over time love you and over time understand you so that you can draw some strength from them and it is easy in a church like ours a growing church like ours to come and go and I promise you I promise you we're working hard on it we're trying to come up with ideas all the time all the way through September we're going to be emphasizing small groups small groups small groups you've got to join a small group if you can't find one then you can lead one and if you can't lead one then you can find one and we're going to work so hard to make it happen but we so need your help so I'm going to do some of yours least favorite thing I'm gonna put 60 seconds on the clock and I want you to go and find somebody who you don't know and I want you to discuss with them this question what is your name how did you end up at audacious church today some of you will be saying I got off the bus at the wrong stop you will take that question literally some of you will be saying, well, you know, God spoke to me in 1980 at a Billy Graham rally and that's where your story will start and that's fine. So, we either mean it or we don't. What well, I mean it. So come on, everyone stand to your feet. Here's the question. What is your name? And how did you end up at Audacious Church today? 60 seconds on the clock. Let's huddle up. Go find someone, go. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online, every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.